Okay, so last week we did not get this completed, but we did read through from chapter 7, verse 6, all the way through chapter 8, excuse me. Um, And we're kind of looking at the work of the Holy Spirit, particularly is what I want us to kind of highlight in this. Um, I mentioned last week that there's a couple of ways um, that the Holy Spirit works within our lives. I'm going to list these four off and we'll kind of see them as we uh, move through the text today. So the Holy Spirit empowers us. The Holy Spirit purifies us. The Holy Spirit reveals um, truth to us. The, The Holy Spirit unifies us as believers, unifies us together in in the church, also unifies us um, in the spirit with um, with God. So a couple of places just so that I, so that it's out there if you want to jot this down and and go back and look at it later. I think specifically you can see places within this text where the Holy Spirit is doing this work. Um, So for empowering, for how the Holy Spirit empowers us, pay attention when we get to Romans chapter 8 verses 10 and 11 uh, for how the Holy Spirit purifies us. Um, We're going to, I hope, get there today. Uh, Look at Romans chapter 8. It's kind of a big run of text here that we're going to see, but specifically there's this this chain, like we know the golden chain chain right like everybody's heard that term for like Romans 8:28 um, and the and the verses that kind of flow from that but there is a chain that I want us to, to see here in Romans chapter 8 verses 18 through 23 then through 26 onward where we where we can kind of see the Holy Spirit's work of purifying us and I, I want to make specific mention of what is the like what has when we get into like the golden chain and it speaks about like God having predestined us what is he predestined us for right like it's not just this like open idea of predestination but there is a direction that God for us as believers we should be very encouraged by that he's predestined us for what conformity to the image of Christ right we will be purified by the work of God in our lives through suffering, through joy, through encouragement, um, all things working together in this regard. Um, we, will be, we will be made holy, um, not by our own efforts, but by the work of God himself. Um, if you want to see where God um, works in, in kind of through the Holy Spirit to, to reveal truth to us, Romans chapter 8 verse 16 um, we'll, we'll kind of uh, hit that as well. And then if you want to see, uh, for, for, for the Holy Spirit revealing to us, that would be Romans chapter 8, verse 16. And then if you want to see how the Holy Spirit unifies a good place in this run of text for that is Romans chapter 8, verse 17. Okay, so quickly just to go over that again, he empowers us, Romans 8, verses 10 and 11. He purifies us, Romans chapter 8, 18, 23, 26, through the golden chain. Um, He reveals himself, um, or he reveals himself, he reveals truth to us, Romans 8, verse 16. And then he unifies us, Romans 8, verse 17. So now just for... Resetting the context 
of what we're looking at here. We're looking at the Holy Spirit specifically in this text. Um, I want us to go back into chapter 7 of the book of Romans, and I want us to look at two things. So we're going to kind of be moving through this, and this is going, there's a lot to be said here, um, but what I want us to do is I want us to look at verse 6 of chapter 7, and then the opening verses of chapter 8, and I want us to look at um, how well those things flow together, and then we're going to go back and kind of dig through the more difficult pieces there, um, and ask ourselves some some. Uh, kind of pointed questions. So uh, chapter 7 verse 6 reads like this, but now we are released from the law having died to that which held us captive so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not the old way of the written code. And then go down into 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. Now, a couple of things that I want us to point out there in that last verse um, or so that we read um, in order, verse 4, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled, where? In, in you. So the work that Christ has done and that the Holy Spirit does works the, the righteousness, the righteous requirement of the law. We clearly know that Christ fulfilled the law, Right? If we look at the if we look at the account of Christ, if we look at everything in Romans up to this point, like it's no doubt that Christ is perfect. We are not, but I want us to look at this specifically that He condemned sin in the flesh in order that so all that Christ did when Christ was um, on the cross, the perfect Lamb of God on the cross. What is this other than a clear condemnation of sin? Right, that sin is so awful, so despised by God that he, that Lord, would you let this cup pass from me? But if it be your will, and what was the Lord's will? That Christ crucified on the cross, the full wrath of God poured out on Him there, and Christ, the only one who could drink the cup of wrath to its completion and set it down, died on the cross. Right, The wrath of God being poured out on him there. That way, so that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. When you are in Christ and God looks at you, what does he see? He sees Christ. Like so often, like... This is a crazy thing to consider because we know ourselves so well. We know how fallen and how broken. You know the struggles that you probably had even just getting to church this morning and the places that you have failed God. And to think that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in you seems so far-fetched at times. Does it not? 
But we need to rest in the reality that when God looks upon us as believers through the faith that we have in His finished work, that He sees the righteous work of Christ in us. Not that we work towards righteousness so that He might see us and, and show us more favor, but that He sees us in that completed work and we can trust that the Holy Spirit is working this reality out in us now. Right? So there's what God sees of you and there's what you know of you. Right? And He is working through the Spirit to bring those things together. And this is what He says here. So, that it might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but how? According to the Spirit. And, and as we go through this, I want us to, to kind of constantly ask ourselves, in, in what way are we walking as believers? Do you walk in the Spirit? Do you trust that the Spirit will guide you into righteousness? And we're, we're going to see as we kind of read on in, in a little bit... Um, this will be a reality for us, that we will move forward in holiness by the power of the Holy Spirit if, what? The Spirit dwells in you. Right? Um, so, this should be for us kind of, if you have faith, the Spirit believes in you. Or, excuse me, the Spirit dwells in you. If you believe in the finished work of Christ, the Spirit of God is the seal of that promise. Right, But we need to be aware that if we live lives that are contrary to what the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians chapter 5, 22, would show to us, if we live lives that are completely contrary to this, we should heed the warnings of Scripture lest we think that we've believed and we have in fact not believed. Right. Um, so now what I want us to do is go back up chapter 7, verse 6. We're going to read that. We're going to then push on into the law here. And kind of in this idea or with these kind of four traits, four aspects that we looked at earlier, the Holy Spirit empower, empowering, purifying, revealing, and unifying, um, I want us to think to ourselves, and I asked you last week to kind of be looking at this, what is missing in verse 7 of chapter 7 on to the end? that's mentioned in verse 6 and then again throughout verse 8. Do y'all know what's missing? <laughs> the Spirit's work in you is missing there. Right? If you work and labor and you only had your own abilities, you would look like a Pharisee. Perhaps you would look holy on the outside, but you would be dry bones on the inside. Right? No life within you. Only a semblance of holiness. Right? Now, I want us to imagine, we're not going to go deep into this um, today. I would just kind of point you back to the, uh, when we did go through this kind of painstakingly through the Roman study that's out there. Um, but what I want us to see as we look through this today is this is a reality that is only a reality if you're walking in the flesh. 
And what we should see is that as believers, we don't walk in the flesh, we walk in the Spirit. So what might a life look like if it were walked, lived in the flesh? Perhaps you love the law of God. You would find yourself unable to follow the law of God. Um, And this is why the Spirit's work here is so critical Um, Because without the Holy Spirit, we would look like this. You would look like this. If in your mind, you think to yourself as we're going through this, well, that kind of does look a lot like me, then may the Holy Spirit empower you, purify you, reveal truth to you, unify you within a body of believers so that it would not be the case. Right? Because this ought not be the rule for the believer. What then shall I say, verse 7, that the law is sin by no means? Yet if I, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin, for I would not have known what it is to covet. If the law had not said, you shall not covet, but sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment produced in me all kinds of covetousness, apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death for me, for sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Could you hear the Pharisees in their quiet places thinking this very thought? Like, I know the law of God. I've been raised in the law of God. I cherish the law of God. I can't follow the law of God. But if I tell a soul that, what would they think of me? What would they think of me? Would they reject me? Paul is honest here about the reality of Knowledge of the law without the power of the Spirit to press us into righteousness. This is his world. Yes. As I as I read this, as I read this, and I think about Paul in in those moments leading up to the Damascus Road, I think he thought like this. I think that he felt like this. I think that we get a glimpse of what Paul's mindset was like as he was going out persecuting the church. Right? The reality is, and I want us to, like, let's be real about this, is that apart from the Holy Spirit working in us, this is the reality we would know. Again, if you say, well, that seems like my reality, is the Holy Spirit moving in you? Is He working in you? Does He dwell in you? 
Verse 15, For I don't understand my own actions, for I don't do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Now if I do what I don't want, I agree with the law that it's good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. Can't you see how we shift that blame? Because ultimately at the end of the day, it can't be me. I love the law, right? It's the sin that's in me. It's you. You were born into sin. Without the work of the Holy Spirit, you would be left flailing around in it. Verse 18, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I don't want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and, take, and making me captive of the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Who? Who? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. There is, therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit... So now we're back. What was missing through that whole run? The Spirit's work in your life. How will you be transformed? Have you ever asked yourself that? In that quiet place where you're like, not again. How, right? Like, how did I get here again? Right? How did pride slip up? How did I yell at my kids again? How did this, that, or the other? Right? How did I come here again? The answer will not be in that moment that you will just do better next time. Never has that been, never will it be the answer. The law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done, and this is where like the Spirit ought to be revealing this truth to us, that thing that we cannot do, God has done. That struggle that we would continue to have, if we were just given the law, reality is there's not a single one of us having been put in the place of the Jews throughout the history of the Jews who've done, who would have done better than the Jews on whole because we would have the same problem that they would have. Knowledge of the law without the one thing that would empower us to it. Right? The law the purpose and place of the law was not to save you. It was to show you very clearly that you needed saving. That is the place of the law. That is why Paul opens the book of Romans up showing sin. That is why before we preach the gospel, the understanding that comes is that you are a sinner dying. That the wrath of God is in front of you if someone does not step in the way. 
And I can show you law after law. This is what it looks like to be righteous. And no one would achieve it. No one. For God has done. Verse 3, for God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. We can see the price of sin in the cross of Christ. Okay? He did this, verse 4, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Okay, verse 5. So I'm going to point out a couple of, t- a couple of places because I want us to catch this as we go through. So um, be on the lookout when we get to Romans chapter 10, or excuse me, Romans chapter 8, verses 10 and 11. We're going to see the Spirit empowering. When we get to verse 16, um, we're going to see a, a, an example here where Holy Spirit revealing. Now, reality is, is as we read this, we should practically be seeing the Holy Spirit playing that revealing part out to us now, right? Because the Holy Spirit is not like a thing that we talk about in the book. The Holy Spirit is a person dwelling in the life, heart of a believer, working this reality out so that when you hear truth from God's Word, the Spirit says amen, right? So that your spirit's like... I hear that, even if it's something that's like contrary to what you may want to hear, right? Like maybe your life needs to change in some regard. The Holy Spirit's like, what he's saying is true right there, right? And if I were to get up here and I were to speak completely false things, the Spirit inside of you would be active and at work to be like, don't listen to a word he's saying. Right? That's foolishness. Now, there are, some, there are some gray lines in there, right, where sometimes we think that we're right about a thing and we think the Holy Spirit's confirming us on one side or the other. Um, there are some gray lines. But by and large, when we hear the truth of God's Word, the Holy Spirit is quick to confirm it and reveal it. Um, to us, right? There are difficult places where we can um, we can agree that um, disagreements are, are valid in those areas. But then there are places like this, the reality of the work of the Holy Spirit in us, that the Holy Spirit ought to be screaming at you on the inside that this is true. You can't do it without me. Perhaps you've been attempting it, and you see it clearly that you can't. Okay, so Holy Spirit empowering, 10 and 11. Holy Spirit purifying, 18, 23, 26. Holy Spirit revealing, 16. Holy Spirit unifying there in 17. So that's kind of what's ahead of us here as we're looking at the Spirit. So the question that I asked you last week at the end, what's missing in that difficult run at the end of chapter 7? The Spirit's work. Right? He's mentioned before we get this aside so that we can really understand the value of the Spirit in, in the work of sanctifying the believer. And now we see that working, working its way to the, to the glorification of the believer through chapter 8 here. So, so the Spirit is working in us to purify us, to empower us, to reveal God's truth to us, and to unify us as believers. Let's look um, Romans chapter 8, verse 5. 
For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds where? On things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is what? Like, the reality is we all know that's true, right? We've all, we've all been in that place to where we've attempted to do things on our own strength, on our own merit, by our own way, right? So, like, when we, we know for a fact that when we set our mind on things of the flesh, death, um, spiritual death, um, death of just everything around us seems to, seems to come from that. But to set... The mind on the spirit is what? Life and peace. These are things that we should be able to, when we read this, so if I set my mind on things of the spirit, what should the result be? Life and peace. Do you find yourself frequently uneasy about the day? Right? Do you find yourself frequently restless? Do you find yourself frequently feeling drained of all energy? No life. What are you setting your mind on? Right? And like there's tons of examples, tons of places that we could go with this, right? Like what are you consuming on a daily basis? Like what's the majority of input into your brain, into your thoughts? Is it something from the news? Is it something from social media? Is it something from God's Word? Like, you find yourself uneasy, and yet you continue chasing after things that make you more uneasy, right? Why do we do this to ourselves? Because the flesh cannot achieve what it is that we want. The spirit and the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. May the spirit of God empower us to keep our minds fixed on him. One practical way to do this, live in a constant state of prayer and communion with God. It's one practical way. Speak to him regularly. You can do this no matter where you are. Put your mind on Him. Thank Him for the moment that you have. Thank Him for the grace that He's given you. For the breath that He's placed within your lungs. And spend time in His Word. Spend time in prayer. Spend time in His Word. And when you do, when you spend more time there then you do consuming things that drive you crazy, when you know they drive you crazy, you will find yourself being pushed closer and closer to God, and you will find your mind more easily flowing to things of the Spirit. And from that, life and peace. Verse 7, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Verse 8, Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Then shouldn't we be ecstatic that we as believers are not in the flesh? 
unless you think that I'm wrong about that, let's continue reading. You, however, this is you, believer, you, however, are not in the flesh. Scripture could not make it any more clear. You are not in the flesh, right? You are not in the position of that man at the end of chapter 7. You are not. You are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. Are you a believer? Have you professed faith in the finished work of Christ? If you have, you are not in the flesh. You are in the Spirit. May the Spirit of God empower us to live as such. And anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him, verse 10. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin. Okay, now this is the one that I wanted you to pay attention to. This is Spirit empowering, verses 10 and 11. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. That's Christ's righteousness. Verse 11, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, and, and if you're a believer, he dwells in you. You are in the spirit, right? But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, and I want to pause for a second, and I want to think about the spirit that dwells in us and how powerful that spirit is. Okay, so like you may have thoughts in your mind about a particular thing, a particular struggle, a particular battle, and you may be like, it's 10 years that this is going on, or I've been struggling with pride, or struggling with anger, or struggling with hatred all my life. It's never going to be gone. Who said? Where did you read that in the scriptures? Right? Because the spirit that lives in you, that empowers you, does the impossible things. Right? How many people know someone who's come back from the dead to never die? How often does that happen? Is that anything other than miraculous? Who raised Jesus from the dead? The Spirit raised Jesus from the dead and He lives in you. If the Spirit, verse 11, if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. Maybe He'll do it. Possibly He'll do it. If, you're, if you live long enough, He'll do it. Will. will also give life to your mortal bodies. How? Through His Spirit who dwells in you. Don't underestimate the power of the Spirit. He is the one who's working in you today to bring you into conformity with the image of Christ. He will not fail in this. Believer, this is another thing that you place your faith in. Right? That the one who started this work in you will complete this work in you. He cannot fail at this. This, is, this should encourage us. This should empower us. May God's Spirit continue this work in us. 
So now we're going to look here at verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Okay. So how do you do this? How do you overcome that sin? Who does it? The Spirit. How does He do it? Through you. Right? It's not like a magic act that happens behind the scenes and you never see it. Okay? The Spirit does the work through you. Right? Verse 13. Pay attention to this here. This is the Spirit doing the work. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Let's pause for a moment. Consider that thing. Slay it by the power of the Spirit. Like what's, the, what's the quote, Dustin? Um, be slaying sin or sin will be slaying you. Who's, who's that from? I forget. John Who? John Owen. John Owen. Okay, I want to do asterisk up at the top or footnote, go down to the bottom. If he did not mean by the power of the Spirit, then he was wrong. Okay? He did. He did. <laughs> Be slaying sin. The Spirit empowers you to it. Be slaying sin, and sin will not be slaying you. Verse 14. For all who are led of the Spirit of God are sons of God. For if you did not receive this, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, you've received the spirit of adoption as what? Sons. We are the children of God. By whom we cry, Abba, Father. Okay. I want us to pay attention to this. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So this is, this is in this run of text, this is one of the places that I wanted to show you the work of the Spirit in revealing. Right? Um, oftentimes, I think new believers, sometimes believers who've been around for a while, but, but probably more often than not, new believers find themselves in this place of asking the question, am, am, am I, did I really believe? Is that faith real? Like, is it... You know, like, um, did I believe in vain? How do we know? How do you know? The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. How do you know that you belong to God? One, you believe, right? You continue in that belief. And the Spirit comforts you and tells you your mind. You are mine. He reveals this truth within you, right? Verse 16, the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And here's the unifying. So like this language here, um, if it doesn't unify us, I don't, I don't, I don't know what could. So um, the Spirit here, verse 16, revealing that we are children of God, verse 17, and if children then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. 
Like what can be more unifying than the Spirit bringing us together as brothers and sisters, as a church body, and bringing us together with Christ? We are not second-class citizens, not participants in this story, but He has done a work in such a way that we are heirs with Christ. We, who struggle and fight with the flesh, who having the law laid out before us, could only use it as a a tool to see how far we'd fallen. We, who could contribute absolutely nothing to our salvation other than the need to be saved. And He performs this work. He completes this work. He continues this work in us, sanctifying us, and He gives us this. Heirs of God. Fellow heirs with Christ. It's a crazy, crazy reality. That like, we will one day stand with the king, heirs of the same kingdom. Like, I'm unworthy of that reality. Right? I don't think anyone here would claim to be anywhere close to worthy to that reality but that is no less the reality like he has done this work and lifted us up to stand with him like that's powerful it should it should um oftentimes like and that's again like that's that like um Mind on the flesh, mind on the spirit. Like the spirit is going to lead us to this type of truth, right? And I get that it's, that it's tough. Like I have my own like self image issues, right? And I, I, I get you that like things can drag you from like things kids said that were mean when I was little can drag on and I'm almost 40 years old, right? But the reality is, is that the way I see myself oftentimes doesn't match up with the way that God sees me. And that the, what's crazy is, is He knows me. Right? How could He see me in a better light than me? When all we bring is bad. When all we bring is... Yeah. Like, that's insane. Yeah. And real, where, where real humility comes from, finding your worth and your unworthiness, and finding everyone else around you in that, that right eye. Where yeah. You see yourself rightly as being low. Yeah. And you see other people around you as being no, all of a sudden they're no better than you, but they're also no worse than you. Yeah. You know, that you're, you're able to see how low we really are and, the, and how high we've been exalted. Yeah. Well, we how that person is not. We it's, stay it's worthy there. of honor. Yeah. That's right. That, we, that exactly. Because when we stand there and we stand in the same spot that Christ stands and we know the only reason we get to stand there is because of the finished work in Him, but we're equals with Him standing there. Yeah. There will be, there will be no boasting on our part. You better not even pick your head up. Like what other, other than boasting in Christ. What other... Yeah. 
group in the world, like, that's the case. Like, everything you have to work for it. Like, yeah. Nothing. Like, nothing. Yeah. And we're just, it's only him. It's only him. And you don't, those people who worship other things, they, 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 uh, not that we won't bow, but they have to cower to that. Yeah. We, right. We don't have to cower. It's a, it's a strange thing that he has done. Mm-hmm. That instead of breaking us and pulverizing us into dust, he is. He brought us beside him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we we'll cl- we'll close it up right there. I want you to pay attention to what he says right after that, though, because he doesn't really finish um, with just that fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified with him. Um, we'll we'll pick that up. We'll pick up from there next week. Um, And next week should be a short wrap-up.